You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Amen. It has already good, been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I hope that as we look at Galatians 4, that God will speak to your heart. Turn there in your Bible so you can reference back. I'll be referencing several verses that we read earlier. You know, recently it's felt like our nation's been more divided than ever before. Seems like politics have been getting nastier and pettier. Seems like there is more anxiety, more acrimony, more antagonism than there has been in a very long time. We've watched uh, elections that were increasingly polarizing. We've watched rallies of white supremacists that have caused all types of people to raise up against one another. But then a couple of weeks ago, something remarkable happened. The moon came between us and the sun. And for a couple of days, all we heard about was the eclipse and where you can get eclipse glasses and Who's going where to see the eclipse? And some of you, maybe you got tired of hearing about the eclipse, but I enjoyed it because as, as cool as the eclipse was, what was cooler is that for, for like two days, there was just this moment where we weren't talking about all of those problems constantly. There was, there was just a moment where we all looked up to the heavens. And, and I think that the eclipse was a pretty good illustration of what happens many times we lose sight of what we have been blessed with because something gets in our line of view and all of this other stuff distracts us or blocks our view from the many blessings we have our nation is probably more divided than it's been in recent history but we are still incredibly blessed to live here So blessed. But then the eclipse was over. The moon got out of the way. We went back to regular life. And we went back to the same old, same old. But then a a catastrophe struck. A hurricane bared down on Texas, flooding cities, neighborhoods. And for a moment, all of our attention turned there. And what we saw there was great heartache and people losing so much, but we also saw this incredible thing. My favorite picture was a picture that I saw on the news of the so-called Cajun Navy making their way from Louisiana, people who own boats of all sorts, shapes, and sizes, heading to Texas to save people. Going from house to house, going from street to street in Houston, rescuing people people. And once again, we had this moment where we saw there are all of these problems in our nation, but there is so much that makes our nation great. There are all of these things that divide us, but there is this common passion, love, generosity that we see in so many places. I was encouraged by that. Right now, we have Free Will Baptist churches that are mobilizing in Texas. Some of them right on the edge of where disaster struck in Houston. Kevin Bass, who used to attend our church, his father is a pastor just outside of Houston. He's opened his home for Free Will Baptist to come and stay and, and do work. We have the Master's Men, which is the, the men's group of Free Will Baptist, are mobilizing to go and help these churches serve the community. 
Right now, we have Free Will Baptist churches that aren't meeting this morning in Florida. They've canceled their services. They've hunkered down, but we stand ready to help them as well. At the end of the service today, we'll collect an offering. If you'd like to give to these efforts, you can do so. But what all of this reminds me of is what we read in Galatians 4. Because Galatians 1-3 has been all of these arguments that Paul is giving them. Because there's this, this great misunderstanding that they have in Galatians. This is the reason that he's writing this letter is to straighten all of these things out. But in Galatians 4, we see that the reason that Paul is writing... The reason that he's calling out to them, the reason that he's straightening them out is not because he's, he's superior to them. It's not because he's arrogant. It's because he loves them. In verse 12, he calls them his brothers. In verse 19, he calls them his children. Verse 11, he says, I'm afraid for you. I'm worried for you. Verse 20, he says, oh, I wish that I could be with you and change the tone of my voice from argumentative and building a case to just enjoying being with you and fellowshipping with you. That's his desire. You see, all of this matters. All that we've looked at in the previous six messages of Galatians, everything that he wrote in chapters 1, 2, and 3, it matters because he loves these people. He cares about them. He had developed a strong relationship with them and he wanted to see them free from their sin, free from their doubt and insecurity. We've seen that Paul is a debater. He's argumentative. He's giving them arguments and building his case for the truth. He's an apologist, but he's also an advocate. He's not just arguing for the sake of arguing. Some of you have a person like that in your family, don't you? They just argue for the sake of argument. Paul's not arguing just for the sake of argument. Paul is building this case because he cares about these people. He cares for them. How many of you have ever taken one of those personality profile tests? It tells you what kind of personality you have. Every one of them has kind of a different label that describes you. I took one of those about a year ago. Asked you all of these different questions. Sometimes it's the same question, various different formats. And after I was done, it told me that I am a debater. That that is my personality type. That I'm comfortable in front of a group of people building a case. My mother told me when I was a teenager that I would make a great lawyer because I was always arguing with her. I read that and I was kind of like, oh man, am I, do I, am I the kind of person who just likes arguing? But most of these personality profiles, there's kind of a, that, that, that first characteristic and underneath it is the, the secondary characteristic and underneath that was advocate. And I feel a little bit better because... It's one thing to debate. It's another thing to debate if it's something that you care about or for the sake of people that you care about. And what Paul is doing here in Galatians is he's arguing with these false teachers that have popped up in Galatia, in this mountainous region where these people are living in villages and towns. He's arguing with them, but he's doing it because he cares about the people in these towns. He cares about them. So in verse 12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you did me no wrong. Paul had become as they are. When Paul was there in Galatia, he had become one of them. He wasn't just a tourist passing through. He had become a Galatian. He would become a member of that culture, of that society. He would become one of the family in that region. And I'm sure that Galatia being this more remote, mountainous, more village type place, there were some pockets 
that outsiders weren't normal. But Paul became as one of them. He rubbed shoulders with them. He's saying, I became like you are. I became one of you. And Paul did this everywhere that he went. He breaks this down in greater detail in his letter to the Corinthians where he says, To the Jew I'm a Jew, to the Greek I'm a Greek. I am all things to all men, that by all means I might win some to Christ. You see, wherever Paul went, he he desired to be close with those people so that he could teach them the gospel. Now throughout this book, he's been calling the Galatians to a greater life. So it isn't that Paul changed his message, but he changed to adapt to these people. You see, Paul was concerned with making them comfortable so that they could hear the message of the gospel. He became one of them. He spoke to them in their vernacular. He spoke to them in their language, in words that they could understand. He became as one of them, and his desire is that they might become like him. And he's not becoming a Galatian so they can become like him, a Jew. He's becoming a Galatian so that they might become like him, a Christian so that they might become as He is, free. Free. John Stott, writing on on Galatians, says that when Paul says this, he he reminds us of another occasion where Paul is actually imprisoned and he is in shackles and chains and he is pleading his case before Governor Agrippa, King Agrippa, pleading his case out before this judge. And the king says, almost you persuade me to become a Christian like you are. And Paul says, oh, I wish that you would become like me, save for these chains. He's saying, Grip, I wish that you would come to Christ like I have come to Christ. I wish that you were like me, except not with these chains that I'm wearing. And that was Paul's desire. Paul's desire was constantly that other people would come to know the glorious grace and love of God that he had come to know. That was the reason that he wrote this letter. That was the reason that he lived his life the way that he did. And the underlying foundation for the reason that Paul feels this way and the reason that he lives this way is because this is exactly what Jesus did for Paul. Jesus Christ loved Paul so much that he became like Paul, yet without sin. He became a man and sought Paul out and reached out to him. And that's what Jesus did for every one of us. He left the glories of heaven. I heard an old, old story of a Savior come from glory. He left the glory of heaven, came and lived as a man among us. Why would Paul go and become a Galatian? Because God came to earth to become a man. And if he's willing to do that for Paul, Paul's willing to do that for someone else. Paul loved these people. And he didn't become as one of them to to trick them. It wasn't disingenuous. He wasn't pretending to be interested in them. He truly loved them. He wasn't flattering them. He really cared for them. Now in verses 17 and 18, he contrasts himself with the false teachers. He says, they zealously affect you. They zealously affect you. What does it mean to zealously affect you? Here's an example of zealously affecting you. You're walking through the mall and one of those people's at the middle kiosk says, you have lovely hair. Could I show you this new treatment for it? Right? You're walking through the mall and they say, you have lovely nails. This has not happened to me. It's happened to my wife. What are they doing? They're trying to sell you something. They don't really care about you. They're not really impressed with your hair or your nails. They want to sell you their product. 
And Paul says the people that have popped up in Galatia, they are zealously affecting you. They're telling you what you want to hear. They're paying you these false compliments. They're flattering you because they want to sell you something. They want to sell you their brand of religion. They want to convince you to follow them. That's what they're working towards. They didn't really love them. So on the one hand, these false teachers, they come into Galatia and they pay the Galatians all these compliments, zealously affect them, win their, their love. And then on the other hand, they're paying Paul all of these complaints, talking about how bad Paul is. And, and this is a, a basic move that cults still use today. Cults will, will come to a person and, and lavish compliments on them and then tell them how bad their family, their friends have treated them. They try to win the person to themselves and drive a wedge between that person and their family, their friends, their, their pastor. And that's what they're doing here in Galatia. They're drawing them close to them and driving a wedge between them and Paul. And Paul says, they're zealously affecting you, but not for good reason. And he says, it's great to be zealously affected. It's great to have someone pay you a compliment. If their intentions are good, if they're trying to encourage you, but if they're trying to deceive you, that's not good at all. So Paul says, that's what they're doing. I love you, Galatians. I truly love you, and and you loved me. There was this strong relationship that we had. What has happened to this relationship? What's happened to this friendship that we have? He says, "Did did you stop being my friend because I told you the truth? Is there a problem between us because I told you the truth? See, these false teachers, they were telling the Galatians what they wanted to hear because they wanted something for themselves. Paul had told the Galatians the truth because he wanted something for them. And we live in an age where there are many pastors and teachers that will compromise the message of the gospel to make it more agreeable, to make it easier to hear, to make the church service something that everyone can enjoy and, and everyone can just feel so encouraged and so uplifted when they leave. But a teacher that compromises the truth of the gospel, a pastor that compromises the truth of the gospel, they don't love you. They love themselves. They're trying to sell you something. They're making the message more agreeable because they're selfish. Because they want something from you. So Paul says to them, what what has changed? Are we no longer friends? Are we no longer close because I tell you the truth? Friends, you want a teacher and you want a pastor that will tell you the truth. You don't want a pastor that only preaches on the sins of other people. You don't want a pastor that only talks about your favorite topics. Any more that you would want a doctor who only gives you the good news. Notice what Paul says in verse 19. He says, I travail again until Christ be formed in you. Paul likens what he's experiencing with the Galatians as giving birth to them again. Now, he already labored over them and gave birth to them once. Moms, can you imagine giving birth to your child a second time? Some of you wouldn't go through it the second time, right? 
That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm travailing over you. I'm giving birth to you once more so that Christ might be formed in you. I love you so much that I'm going to go through the labor pains of delivering you twice, Galatians. I'm not with you, but I didn't give up on you. I don't have anything to gain from you, but I want Christ to be formed in you. And there are people that have walked away from our church or they've moved away, but it's still my desire that Christ would be formed in them. Paul's passion was not that they would return to their devotion to Paul, but that they would return to their devotion to Christ. That was his desire. So Christ be formed in you. And so now, upon that premise, Paul will do something that would be extremely uncomfortable for them. He refers to an Old Testament story. Last week I mentioned to you the fact that Abraham had been promised by God that he would have all of these descendants and he was getting older in age and so was his wife. And he says to God, he says, well, my servant, will he be the one who inherits all I have? And God says, no, I will give you a child. Wait, be patient, believe, have faith. So Abraham and Sarah, they hatch a plan. Sarah says, I I cannot bear you any children, so you will have a child with my Mistress, my bondservant, my Hagar, my servant. Abraham, you will have a child with her. So Abraham commits adultery with Hagar. She becomes pregnant and they have a son named Ishmael. But then God delivers on his promise, even though Abraham has been unfaithful in this. God delivers on his promise, and Sarah, in her old age, bears a son, and his name is Isaac. Now, for the people who grew up in the Jewish tradition, they would be familiar with the story, know this story, because Isaac would be the son of Abraham and Sarah, which was the son that God promised them. And Ishmael would be the son of Hagar, that Abraham would end up driving Hagar and Ishmael out of their home and out of their family away. Ishmael would have his own descendants, and Isaac would have his descendants, which would become the Jewish people. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because what Paul says here in this passage, he says that anyone who tries to earn their status with God through their own efforts, through keeping the law, they're like the children of Ishmael. They're like the children of Hagar, the son that Abraham had with the servant. But those who have placed their faith in Christ and been made right, they're like the children of Isaac, who are the children of promise. So what he's told them to people who are legitimately, ethnically, biologically descendants of Isaac, he's saying, you're like children of Ishmael, because you're trying to earn your way to heaven. Now, that would have been incredibly hard for them to hear. For them to hear that something they took great pride in and being a son, a great, 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 great grandson of Isaac, to hear that you're basically just a son of Ishmael because you're trying to make it happen on your own strength and efforts. But those that believe are sons of promise. That would have been really hard to hear. But Paul tells them this to illustrate the message that our status, our standing with God is not based upon what we do or who we are. 
And so when he tells them this, he's telling them the truth. And it would have been really hard to hear this truth, but so important for them to hear this truth. And there are times that as your pastor, as the preacher, as the person who shares God's word with you, there will be times that I have to tell you truth that is hard and difficult to hear. But if I skipped over them, it would be because I'm selfish and I don't love you. Paul loves them, so he tells them the truth. Tells them the truth. Now, here's what's wonderful about this truth is that this truth is the gospel. This truth is we're not saved by who we are or what we do. We're saved by who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. So God's truth can be hard to hear, but it always comes with this incredible word of grace. It always comes with this wonderful news that it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. You can be a child of promise. As hard as it was for them to hear, you're you're children of Ishmael, not children of Isaac. You're children of the flesh, not children of the promise. The end of the story is, but you can be a child of promise if you believe in Christ Jesus as your Savior. You see, the message of the Bible, even the parts that are hard to hear, are punctuated with exclamation points of God's goodness and His grace. Because it's truth that is spoken in love. In love. More than Paul loved the Galatians, God loved the Galatians. And more than Paul wanted the Galatians to have truth, God wanted the Galatians to have truth. And God's truth always comes with His love and His grace. Always. In the early 1960s, Disney was working hard to take the classic book by P.L. Travelers and make it a film titled Mary Poppins. They worked hard to convince travelers to give them the rights to make this film. And once they convinced her, they thought they had put together quite a picture and they were done dealing with her. But after that, then they had to deal with Julie Andrews. And Julie Andrews told the songwriters, I don't like the song that you've written for Mary Poppins. The song was Through the Eyes of Love, and it carried this message that when we have love and we look with love, we see the world differently. She said, it just doesn't have enough pep. It's not snappy enough. I'm sure the brothers, the Sherman brothers, I can't believe she's telling us that this music isn't peppy enough. She listened to the message of it. So Robert Sherman went home frustrated. And when he got home, his children began to tell him all about their day, which included receiving the polio vaccine. Sherman said to them, oh, did it hurt? Because up to that point, the way that you received the polio vaccine was through a needle. You received the vaccine that Joseph Salk had brought to pass. And his son said, no, it didn't hurt. It was delicious. Sherman was confused. You see, right about that time, another doctor by the name of Albert Sabin, he had concocted another form of the vaccine, which was oral. And because it didn't taste great, they decided to take little droppers and take the oral medicine and put it on a sugar cube and administer it in a little paper cup with the vaccine poured over a sugar cube. 
And so here's this life-saving medicine in a sugar cube. Schumann heard that. He knew that he had an idea for the song that would be perfect for Mary Poppins. And the next morning he went to work and he and his brother wrote the song, A Spoonful of Sugar Makes the Medicine Go Down. And in the movie, Mary Poppins sings that when you make your work a game, it's so much easier. There's a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And what we have in God's Word is that there are places where there is truth that is difficult to hear, that is hard to hear. But there is more than a spoonful of sugar. There is the exclamation point of God's grace. And no matter how hard the truth I have to tell you about your sexuality or your family or your finances or your hobbies or your passions or your plans, it all comes washed down by an ocean full of God's majestic grace. Because He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And so when Paul shares these difficult truths with them in Galatians 1, in Galatians 2, in Galatians 3, it's all coming with God's grace. And so there are times that they would have been a bitter pill to swallow. But they could have washed it down with God's love and grace poured out on them. This morning, I'm burdened for you My heart is burdened for you, those of you that you have grown up in church and you think because of your religious education, because of the family that you grew up in, because of the facts and the figures from the Old Testament that you can easily follow, that you are okay with God. But I cry out to you and I tell you the hard truth that what you are and what you've done does not matter because it is based upon what Jesus has done for you. Fear for you that trust in your deeds and your ties and your way of life and your adherence to cultural Christianity norms. I fear it's, it's leading you astray because our trust must be in Christ. And some of you, the greatest thing that you could hear is that though you've grown up in church and though you've grown up keeping the rules and following the Ten Commandments, you're lost in your sin. You're not a son of promise. You're not a daughter of promise. You are a son or daughter of Ishmael, of your own efforts, of your own flesh. But the grace that comes with that is that you can believe and trust in Christ. I fear for those of you that are here this morning who think that you are too lost or too far gone that you've done too much to ever be forgiven. I fear for those of you that doubt your salvation because of all of the wrong that you have done. Like Paul worried for the Galatians, I worry for you because I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. It's who Jesus is and what He's done. And if you'll trust in Him, you can be forgiven. No longer be a slave, but be a son or a daughter of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.